I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Today, I'm talking with Eric Rosen, international chess master. We're going to hear today how Eric turned his passion for chess into a thriving business. I know a lot of listeners, you have your passions. Wouldn't you love to turn it into a business? Well, Eric's going to tell you how he did that. Eric's on Twitch and YouTube. He has 600,000 subscribers to his YouTube. So Eric, maybe offline, you can give me some pointers on how I can get more subscribers to the podcast. And I even looked up a few of his uh, videos online and a few of them have had over millions of views, millions of views. So make sure you check it out. We're going to have all the links on our website. But I had a little intro call with Eric and I surprised him because I went to grade school with his mom. So you could say I knew his mom before he did. We're going to start, Eric, today, and let me know, did I leave anything out about you? I think that was a great intro, but uh, there's always more to share, so it's great to be here. Look forward to chatting. Great, and so we're going to kind of walk through Eric's life today. We're going to talk about how he got started playing chess, what he's doing now, and I'm kind of a pop culture person. So we're going to talk about Queen's Gambit. I I know a lot of us watched that during the pandemic, and he's going to kind of give us the behind the scenes on that show. Uh, There's been a lot of news about a cheating scandal, which he's going to talk about. And I think you played one of the people involved in that. So maybe you can enlighten us on that. He's going to tell us why he loves chess. And maybe uh, give you the listeners, if you would like to start playing chess, maybe how you can get started. So, Eric, why don't you bring us way back, and how did you start playing chess? I learned the rules of the game when I was seven. Uh, I was on a family vacation in the Bahamas, and my older brother knew the rules. And uh, there was a chessboard in the hotel library we were staying at, uh, Atlantis Resort. And he showed me how to play, and very quickly I, I got into it. I had probably a longer attention span than most seven-year-olds. I was really into like doing puzzles at the time and, and chess was like a natural fit for me. I loved the way it kind of made me think and solve problems. And I liked the the strategy and competitiveness to it. So very shortly after learning a game, I just kept bugging my family to like play with me and, and find places where I could play chess. And uh, a few months later, my parents found a chess class at a local park district, signed me up. I ended up like beating most of the kids there. And then the instructor there told me about tournaments. And then I got into the whole chess tournament scene. And yeah, that was kind of the the early beginnings for me. So did you beat your brother when you were seven and you started playing at, at the Atlantis? It's hard to remember the first games that we played. Um, I'm pretty sure he he probably beat me the first few games that we played, but probably. I caught on pretty quickly. And within a few months, I was beating him. 
So when did your parents or you start to realize that you had a talent for chess? Yeah, I think maybe it was gradual, but when I attended this like local park district class, I I was beating most of the kids there including my older brother. So, I think that was a sign that there there was some opportunity to play more competitively. And when I played my first chess tournament, it was uh it was like a whole different world, uh over 100 kids there, and I ended up winning winning two, losing two, drawing one. Uh, I got like a small participation ribbon. And I really just fell in love with the game from from early on, and then within a year, got a chess coach, started attending um, more kind of classes and, and camps. By the time I was nine, I won the Illinois third grade state championship. Uh, so from there, I I just kept at it and started competing in more tournaments, and eventually at a, a national level as well. Wow! And that's you know my daughter played chess and. <laughs> She actually uh, met Susan Polgar and a lot of the chess players. And that's where I met your mom. We were at a chess tournament and the kids are in the room for hours and the parents sit outside and talked and I got to talk with your mom. But I remember those trophies um, probably in third grade. The trophy probably was as tall as you were. They were those huge, huge trophies. And we were actually just cleaning out my daughter's room and she had all these chess trophies, which I'm sure you do. So we took the little placards you know they were just Mm -hmm. like all over her room so um if you have young kids that want to play chess and love trophies there's a lot of trophies at chess (laughs) yeah that was a big motivator for me and i I still have like most of my childhood trophies too at my my parents house they're kind of in in storage in the basement but some point i'll have to go through them and find a way to either recycle them or, or display them so I used to laugh because my daughter would play, you know, two, three hours of chess. I couldn't get her to concentrate for 10 minutes. But, mm-hmm. you know, you were even when you were young, you were probably in that room playing. So I know. Uh, tell us about your high school career in chess and then your college career. Yeah. So I went to Niles North High School in Skokie. We're actually competing high schools with your daughter. Uh, right, right. She went to Evanston. But uh, yeah, Illinois has like one of the larger high school chess scenes in the States. They actually have the largest team tournament in the world. And it's just for high school chess players, uh, over 1400 players, over hundred teams come down every year to Peoria to compete. Um, so I led my high school chess team when I was there and we won a couple of state championships and, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I was one of the top ranked players, um, in the States in high school and, my junior year of high school, I won uh, the K-12 national championship. Um, so that was kind of a big, uh, big achievement, qualified me for the the world U18 championships. Um, so got got to have a lot of uh, great opportunities um, as a high school chess player. Yeah, and going to the tournaments, um, Niles North was always the team to beat. And Eric was always on board one, and he was the guy to beat. So he was, you, you kind of knew a lot of people, but it, it is amazing that Illinois has such a huge chess following. I mean, there's every high school's there and, you know, that goes in waves who the top high schools are, but it it's really great. So then it was time for college. How did you decide where you were going to go and, and if you were going to play chess in college? I actually only applied to three universities. I think it was my junior year. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life back then. I applied to... University of Illinois, um, which is a natural fit, just a state school. I had a lot of friends going there. Applied to Wash U in St. Louis, 
And UT Dallas was the one school I applied to that offered uh, a full ride for chess, one of the few schools in the country that offer uh, chess scholarships. And then I ended up getting rejected from WashU, but uh, of course accepted to UT Dallas and University of Illinois. And I had a big decision to make. Do I take the full ride on the chess scholarship or do I pay tuition at a state school and pursue, at the time I, I was applying for their math and computer science program. And ultimately I, I chose to go to University of Illinois um, studying math and computer science. And um, I have a lot of friends that were going there, also chess players who I competed against in high school, but then we ended up being teammates. Yeah, it's it's kind of a long story because uh, I, I only went to University of Illinois for two years, and then I eventually transferred to Webster University, actually getting a, a chess scholarship uh, and attending Susan Polgar's program. So there's kind of a lot to dive into in my, my college experience because I, I went to the state school for two years. I um, eventually had the chess scholarship. So I'm, I'm really happy to dig into whatever area that uh, maybe would be most interesting to the, the listeners. Yeah. And, and I remember when you went to Illinois, tell us about the college tournament. Can you tell us about your team and how you guys did there? Because I remember reading about it. Yeah. So the, the major collegiate event every year is a Pan-American intercollegiate championship. I, I first competed with them in 2012 and we ended up doing really, really well. It was in Princeton that year. And we were the only team to kind of finish in the top four uh, that didn't have any like formal chess program. Um, we didn't have a, a coach or any students on chess scholarships, completely student run. Um, and the top four teams from that event qualified for the final four of college chess. So it was a pretty big Cinderella story. And uh, we really struggled with university funding. Um, we ended up doing a fundraiser after uh, after that event just to fund our, our trip to the final four of college chess. It was a really great experience, um, kind of competing with uh, with teammates who I used to be rivals with. I'm not sure if you recognize these names, but Michael Odger, Akash Midori, mm-hmm. uh, they were kind of longtime chess friends. Right. But um, we not only qualified for the final four, ended up being in 2013, but then the following year too, we qualified for final four. So it was like back to back. Wow. A uh, huge kind of underdog story. Um, so it was a great experience and, uh, yeah, something that I'll, I'll cherish for, for a long time. And did you guys win at the final four? At the final four? No, we, we got pretty crushed, but, uh, we, we didn't get completely swept. Um, each year we managed to scrape off a few points in, in each match. So, but it's tough when you're, you're going against a team that's stacked with not just grandmasters, but really uh, like some of the top G, uh, grandmasters in the world. Um, like the first year that we played, we were playing against Webster University in the first round, who at the time had uh, Wesley So and the Kwang Liam, who are like both top 100 in the world. Wow. Very, very, very strong players. So it was an amazing opportunity to, to play players like that. So can we just back up a minute? Because you're an international chess master and you mentioned grand chess master. What's the difference and how do you become an international chess master? Yeah, so Grandmaster is probably the most recognizable title. That's like the the highest title that you can reach in chess. One level below that is International Master, which is the title that I currently have. Um, And the process to becoming an 
international masters, we call it IM or grandmasters GM. It's kind of a long, complicated process, but essentially there, there's a rating system in chess. So to get the international master title, you need a, uh, a FIDE rating. It's a world chess organization of, uh, of 2,400. And then you also need to have international master norms, uh, which are basically very good results across different series of tournaments. And then the same for, for grandmaster as well. And essentially, you have to consistently beat players who are higher ranked than you. Um, and it's really not an easy t- title to achieve. A lot of players spend their whole lives playing chess and never never even cross like the, the master level, uh, which is below international master. So it's a pretty elite group. Um, and just to give a sense, there's there's about 16 to 1700 grandmasters in the world. Um, and I think there's some stats that I, I think there, there's more billionaires in the world than grandmasters. Oh, that's so, funny. And how old were you when you became an international master? Uh, this was back in 2015. Oh. So I was uh, I was 22 years old. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're talking to someone pretty young here, which um, but I want to back up one moment because I remember reading because you made the final four and Booz Allen was the sponsor. What happened there? Yeah. So Booz Allen sponsored the final four of college chess for, for many years. And the event was somewhat of a, a recruiting event for for interns. And in 2014, myself and then two other of my teammates took advantage of of internship offer at Booz Allen Hamilton, and we worked in in DC for a couple months uh, that summer. And it was a nine to five office job, very very formal, soon tie every day. Um, but it was a great kind of learning experience, and it made me realize that uh, I didn't really want to go the the corporate or more kind of formal route but uh, learned a lot through through the internship. Yeah, no, Boo, that's a, that's a great internship and it's smart for them because you guys obviously are all very, very bright. So let's, let's move on now to what you're doing now. I just find it fascinating. So why don't you tell our listeners? Yeah, um, it's, it's sometimes hard for me to explain my career these days to like average person because it's, it's very non-conventional. I can go back, like when I graduated university in 2017, I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up graduating from Webster, uh, studying interactive digital media, which is, uh, it was a smaller program, but it combined a lot of my interests, including graphic design, video production, web development. Um, I was also teaching chess at the time. So coming out of university, I was essentially supporting myself, giving private chess lessons, and also doing a lot of freelance projects uh, when it comes to like web development and graphic design. And I decided that for one year, I was not going to hop into a job, but just kind of do my own thing and travel and um, and essentially take a gap year. Yeah, around October 2017 was when I started of dabbling in making chess content online, like making video content. Uh, I started a YouTube channel, started live streaming on Twitch. And early on, it was just kind of a passion project. It was a way for me to share my love of chess with the world. Wasn't really expecting any immediate return other than just kind of putting myself out there. And over time, over maybe the next year or so, the audience just kind of grew and grew um, until I was actually making more from 
the online chess content uh, compared to private coaching. And after about a year or two, I realized that there is just huge opportunity to grow and um, doing, like, especially online video content, it was a more scalable opportunity than just doing one-on-one -on -one private coaching. So at some point I, I pivoted and, and put all my efforts to just making making YouTube videos and streaming on Twitch. I know for the maybe the average person, it, it seems like it's it's more of just a hobby. But once I reached the point of like getting a few million views per month, um, there, there's a lot of different business opportunities associated with uh, with just a career of being uh, being a content creator and somewhat of a, a micro influencer in the chess world. Um, and over time, I, I took more sponsorships, got a lot of viewer support, but also a lot of ad revenue on on YouTube too, just for the viewership. So um, I'm super grateful that it's it's turned into a, a full time career for me. I'm able to kind of spend my life doing what I love. I mean, he said it very casually, but millions of views, he said millions. So it's it's not every day you get someone that has that. So congratulations. Um, do you like edit your own videos or do you have a staff or how do you run your business? Yeah. So in the beginning, I've, I've edited almost all my content. And even still today, I, I probably edit about 90% of my content. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do these days is outsource more work because it, it's a lot to juggle between everything that goes into just making content. There, there's a lot of different areas to the business between actually preparing, producing the content, and then doing all of the, the backend uh, things as well. About uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I, I hired my mom to kind of be a, a full-time uh, assistant for me, which has been going great. And she's great because even arranging this, she was on top of things, got us everything. Exactly. So she's doing a great job, Eric, and I know her and I know how, how efficient she is. So sure. it's kind of fun um, that you guys get to work together. And it sounds like you just love love what you're doing. How many videos do you do a month usually? Yeah, it can really vary depending on my my travel schedule because I'm still traveling for different chess events. But uh, I'd say on average, it's three to five YouTube videos a week. And then whenever I'm uh, I'm home and and have more free time, I I do a lot of live streaming on Twitch, and that's also about probably three three to six live streams a week where I, I just hop online, I broadcast myself to uh, the online viewers and uh, usually just play chess, talk through my thoughts and then interact with the audience as well. Well, wow. and, and there's there's no cost to these videos, right? For the end user, people can just go online and, and watch them. Yep. All of the content is freely accessible. Um, one of the revenue models for Twitch is that um, kind of the concept of being a subscriber. And it's similar to the model on Patreon, where if you're a fan of a content creator, then there's the option to be a paid subscriber and basically pay uh, between 5 and $10 a month to support uh, their content. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate enough to have a couple thousand paid subscribers on Twitch. So that's one of the ways that I'm able to kind of make the content sustainable. Well, I mean, not only with the chess, you can start a consulting business on how people can grow their audiences. But For sure. um, I found Eric, I just Googled him, Eric Rosen, R-O-S-E-N, chess, and his videos will pop up, but we'll put links to his YouTube channel and, and Twitch and everything on our website. So I'm going to shift focus a little bit. I loved, loved watching The Queen's Gambit. I thought it was 
really fun. There was actually a quick story when my daughter was in high school, she actually won the girls state chess championship. And I said, if she won, they were going to give her a free uh, entry to the Las Vegas tournament, which was in the show. And then her friend said, if Maddie won, she was going to go. And then I told my mom, if Maddie won, she was going to go. So we ended up having my mom, my mother-in-law, my two sister-in-laws, Maddie's friend, Maddie's mom, their um, sister-in-law and Maddie's and her friend's grandmother. So there was about eight of us for that $25 entry fee to the tournament, but we all had a great time. And, and for those of you who know me, I'm a fan and Barry Manilow was playing right next door. So I know you've been to all these tournaments and the Queens Gambit talked about these tournaments when she went, but what was your thought about the chess side? Were they pretty accurate? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say it's it's great to use chess as an opportunity for for travel and kind of turning in these chess tournaments into vacations. Really, yeah. The Queen's Gambit, uh, I think, did a really good job um, displaying what a real chess tournament is like. Uh, the show had like a few really good chess consultants who have experience working on, on different shows and uh, and movies uh, that feature chess. Um, there's actually Gary Kasparov, uh, one of the best players mm-hmm. who's ever lived, that helped out the show in composing, just composing games specifically to to display in in the um, kind of pivotal scenes. So uh, as a chess player, there there is a huge appreciation just for the smaller details. That I think the mainstream audience maybe wouldn't catch, but uh, if if you play chess, you'd really appreciate the uh, the chess games that are featured in the show. Well, yeah, that's funny because one of my daughters played chess, and the other daughter loves fashion, and there was a lot of talk that her clothes in the Queen's Gambit were trying to replicate certain chess boards and pieces. A lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. Sure. So whether you like chess or fashion or just like a good. Uh, streaming show uh queen's gambit was great so thanks for letting us know i i did think it was pretty i thought it was pretty authentic but coming from you i'm glad you enlightened us um so now i want to bring you to this cheating scandal that i've been reading about and don't fully understand how anyone could possibly cheat when you're sitting side by side with someone so can you kind of tell us what this is and and what your thoughts are about it First thing I'll say is the cheating scandal was a little bit overblown. Um, it, it just <laughs> received oh, they so need much news. Media. They need news, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially, just it, it did shine a spotlight of the issue of cheating in chess. It's it's existed for many years, and it's become a bit easier these days, just with the advancement of technology. And the thing that maybe a lot of people don't realize is your phone. Um, like the chess computer on your phone is now just better than the the best player on the planet could easily just crush the world champion. So there's a lot of concern in top level events that players might be able to access a chess engine during their games, especially in events that are broadcast live online. Because if, if, if there's an event being broadcast live online, then um, your games are being shown in real time, and then really all you need is a way of receiving information about what the best move is. And there, there's concerns that uh, there can be earpieces or other small electronic devices that can transmit this sort of information. Um, so recently, chess tournaments have been taking 
much stricter security measures when it just comes to having players play in their events. Uh, there's metal detectors. There's usually um, now a, a broadcast delay. So the games are not being broadcast in real time, but maybe 15 to 30 minutes after the fact. Yeah, it's one of these uh, unfortunate things when, when it comes to chess and also online chess that it is possible to uh, to play unfairly. Um, but thankfully, I, I think the, the community has responded well and um, it's still like 99.99% of players, I, I think, are, are are very clean when it comes to cheating. Um, but it, it, it did receive some main, mainstream attention recently. Well, those 99.9 wouldn't make the news. So they always like to do that 0.001%. So mm-hmm. what are some of your favorite matches or most exciting matches that you've played in your life? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, one of the most memorable games for me it was my first ever time defeating a Grandmaster. Uh, it was a 2009 U.S. Open. I think it was a summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And uh, it was a final round. I was paired against Grandmaster John Fedorowicz, who's a um, very strong player who lives in New York. And actually, the day before we played, he was inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame just for all of his wow. chess accomplishments. And that game, I think he was a little bit uh, tired from the night before. And I ended up beating him in 16 moves. Oh my a gosh. Very, very quick win. Um, and the game itself was actually really beautiful. It involved like a very cool tactical sacrifice. And that game, it wasn't only, only the fact that it was my first ever defeat over a Grandmaster, but it was a game that put me over a rating of 2200 so I, I officially became a national master and on top of that i won the biggest prize money that i had ever won in any tournament i think i won over 1300 for for this u.s open uh class prize so it was a great experience and, and very memorable wow 16 moves and and wh- why do you love this game so much yeah i think um the reason behind my love for chess has changed over the years. In the beginning, it was a, like just a mental challenge. It, I, I love the way it made me think. It was very strategic. Uh, I liked being in control of my destiny, basically, because chess, there's really no outside help apart from you. Like it's not a team sport. Like you're you're fully in control. And then over time, the fact that it was a way for me to meet new people and travel and just connect with others like from all over the world and it's kind of a, a universal language and uh now these days it's uh it's turned into a, a full career and i'm able to share my love for chess with uh with so many people around the world um so there's there's been so many benefits that have come from the game and uh yeah i'm super grateful for it and what about if someone wants to get started playing chess like what are some things you can offer to help them yeah, these days it's super accessible online. Uh, the major platforms and websites are uh, chess.com. It's probably the most popular. Mm-hmm. And then also lichess.org, lichess.org. Um, these are the, the two biggest places to play and they, they have millions of, of active users on a daily basis. And both sites have a great, great way for, especially newer players, like if you don't even know the rules, both sites kind of have a, a walkthrough of how to play chess and uh once you learn the rules and you can kind of hop on and play people around your same level and then learn from there 
Um, and there was exciting news actually just yesterday that uh, if you look on the iOS app store, uh, the chess.com app is the most popular gaming app um, right now. Um, and there's, there's Bigger been, than Candy Crush? Influx. Bigger than Candy oh, Crush. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and the, the chess.com servers have actually had a hard time keeping up with just sort of the huge surge of in, in interest in chess. And the, the site has been crashing a, a ton, but uh, it's part of the growing pains. And um, it's it's amazing to see just a huge new audience for chess, maybe partly because of Queen's Gambit. Right. Uh, there was a huge surge um, when, when the show came out. And then also from the cheating scandal, there is right. a, a big surge of, of interest as well. So um, it's a great time to to be a chess player. Yeah, I know it's still very, I live in Evanston and still very popular among the young kids and, and they get hundreds of people at the tournaments. It's it's really amazing. Um, so your videos, you try to make it so everyone can enjoy, right? As far as the levels. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's one of the challenges I faced early on is... Uh, my audience is is very diverse. Like there's a lot of young kids who watch my videos or there's older people, there's people who are masters and then complete beginners who maybe just learn the rules. So I try and talk in my videos as if I'm, I'm talking to, to a newer player, but also kind of just trying to be authentic and explaining things and explaining what goes through my mind during uh, a chess game or chess position, um, just to kind of give some insight into what higher level thinking is like in chess. And um, I think that's, that's resonated with the audience and one of the reasons why I've, I've been able to get a lot of viewership over the years because um, I think people just like seeing chess games and kind of seeing not only the games themselves but kind of the reasons behind the moves and uh, one of the goals with with my videos is just to make the game more accessible and to try and help players get better at their own games yeah i mean the more you dig deeper in chess the more tactics there are there are more to learn and and so i think you're going to have a long long line of videos so you know this podcast is all about maximizing your return on life and you know, using your values, your passions. And I, you know, I know Eric is a great example of that, being able to take his passion, turning it into a business. But I know you're not all chess, chess, chess. So how else do you maximize your return on life, Eric? Oh, yeah, I think it's important to keep a balance, um, especially with what I do. It's important to uh, uh, to avoid burnout and and just kind of keep a, a healthy lifestyle. So I have a lot of interests beyond chess, uh, tennis, table tennis. Recently got a, a ping pong table uh, for my place. So I've been playing a lot more ping pong recently. I'm very much into photography. And that's actually been another small gig of mine, of especially at chess tournaments, but otherwise too. I'm, uh, I, I have a lot of nice camera gear that I enjoy uh, just kind of capturing the moment at events and in nature. So I think it's important that if you're especially if you're trying to turn your passion into a career that you keep a balance and, um, and, and, and be able to have things to just kind of fall back on and, and blow off steam. And, um, also important to just continually learn as well. Like I'm a huge junkie for podcasts and audiobooks, and I've probably like after graduating from university, I've, I've I've kept learning, and uh, it's been important to just continue the the passion for learning new things and um and, and keep up to date with 
uh, with everything in the world. Great, great. Yeah, I just recently wrote a blog is your life's asset allocation. And you can have everything in one, you know, just like you can everything in one stock, you can't have, you know, you can't be 24 seven with your with your videos and chess, you need to diversify because it makes you better all around. So um, I just want to thank you. This was fun for me, because I've known you probably since third grade, and I know your family. And it's just so interesting for me um, how you've been able to build a business and build your subscribers and viewers. And really, at the end of the day, I know you're a model for maximizing your return on life. If you'd like to learn more about how Rappaport Rikus Capital Management can help you maximize your return on life, please visit our website at rrcapital.com. And I have my own website called sherrygrecorikus.com that has all of the podcasts. And I want to thank you for listening. And I can't wait to see what Eric does in the future. And I may just go watch one of his videos. Maybe I'll try to learn and maybe beat my daughter in chess. I doubt it, but maybe. But thanks, Eric, for uh, being on the podcast. And thanks. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.